Good evening. Welcome to, oh, there was three people. <laughs> Good evening. <clears throat> uh, welcome to Tuesday evening chapel. Go, go ahead and just go ahead and fix yeah. that. <laughs> the preacher of the evening is Dr. Dan Powers, professor of New Testament at Nazarene Bible College. Uh, I sincerely always look forward to uh, his ministry of the word. I know that you enjoy him in your class sessions, and I enjoy when he preaches, so looking forward to it. Uh, next week, if you show up for chapel, I hope you have a good time. Reading and research next week, not anything personal, but I probably won't be here. So, Okay, let's say our phrase together. Hear my Lord, purify me. Say it one more time. Hear my Lord, purify me. Now let's pray. Remain standing for the reading of the word. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn to 1 Peter. Isn't that surprising? <laughs> to 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'd like to read verses 13 to 16 with you. Peter's just talked about how the prophets spoke about these times that would take place in Jesus Christ. And that angels themselves... We're longing to look into these things. And then he writes to them, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Shall we pray? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Mm -hmm. Father, we are in total amazement at your holiness, at your, in very essence, complete otherness than the kind of people we are. And yet you're the holy God who calls us to come into your presence. You invite us, and you've made that possible through Jesus Christ. And then, Father, the incredible command to us to be holy because you are holy. Father, those words baffle us because we all know that in our own power this is completely impossible. But, Father, we give you thanks for Jesus Christ and for your Holy Spirit, who does what is impossible for us. That which is for man is impossible, is possible with you. And so, Father, this evening as we look at these words, I'd ask that you would prepare our minds, that you would open our hearts, that you would find us obedient to you and to what you call us to do, and to the people, to be the people that you call us to be. And we'll give you thanks and praise through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. 
You may be seated. I'm enjoying our chapel theme for this year very much. Here am I, Lord, pur purify me. Let's say that together again. Here am I, Lord, purify me. What I've especially enjoyed this year is the way that so many of the speakers have preached on this theme. I think that we have gained some very valuable insight into the life of purity and holiness. Indeed, I think that Christ would want all of us to pray that prayer of our theme, Here am I, Lord, purify me. But I can't help but wonder sometimes if we really know what we are asking the Lord to do for us when we pray this prayer. I'm sure that all of us have heard the saying, be careful what you ask for. Well, do we really know what we are asking for when we ask the Lord to purify us? We really do need to be careful what we ask for. I'm reminded of a story that Professor Joe Warrington told me some time ago. I don't think he's here this evening. Oh, I could have taken credit for it myself then. He's not here, but you know. Um, anyway, there's a man who just died, and he's delivered to the mortuary wearing an expensive, expertly tailored black suit. So the mortician asked the deceased wife how she would like the body dressed for the funeral. He points out that the man does look very good in the black suit he's already wearing. The widow, however, says that she always thought her husband looked his best in blue. And so she wants him to be dressed in a blue suit for the funeral. Then she gives the mortician a blank check and says, I don't care what it costs. Please have my husband in a blue suit for the viewing. Well, the next day the woman returns for the wake. And to her delight, she finds her husband dressed in a gorgeous blue suit with a subtle chalk stripe. And the suit fits him perfectly. She says to the mortician, whatever this cost, I'm very satisfied. You did an excellent job, and I'm very grateful. How much did you spend? To her astonishment, the mortician presents her with the blank check, and he says, there's no charge. She says, no, really, I must compensate you for the cost of this exquisite blue suit. She just insists. Honestly, ma'am, the man, the mortician says, it costs nothing. You see, another deceased gentleman of about your husband's size was brought in shortly after you left yesterday. And he was wearing an attractive blue suit. I asked his wife if she minded him going to his grave wearing a black suit instead of a blue suit. And she said it made no difference as long as he looked nice. And so I just switched the heads. <laughs> Isn't a mortician's humor there? You see, we have to be careful what we ask for. We have to be careful what we ask for. You have to get over that shock, right? Sorry. So what about this theme or this prayer we've been following this year? Here am I, Lord, purify me. Do you want to say that with me again? Here am I, Lord. No, wait, don't say it. No, don't say it. If you ask God to purify you, do you really know what you're asking? Have you really sat down and thought about what might happen if God would answer this prayer for you tonight? Now, please don't misunderstand me here. I'm not trying to discourage you from asking God to purify you. I can say it, purify you. I'm just wondering if you've thought about what it means. You know, purification strikes me as a somewhat funny concept. When most of us think about purification, I'm convinced that we tend to think of something beautiful 
unblemished and valuable. We think of something refreshing and clean and useful. And that's certainly true. But how many of us think about the process that leads to purification? As I was thinking about this, I looked up some of the methods of purification in chemistry. Some of these methods sound rather frightening to me. For instance, there is purification by filtration. You have to think about what that means. That means that the impurities are squeezed through some type of porous material until they are completely strained out. Or there is purification by smelting, refining, or distillation, which means that a substance is heated to the point of melting, separation, or boiling so that the impurities are destroyed. There is purification by electrolysis that removes impurities by running them through an electric current. In other words, you shock those impurities to death. Maybe the one that scares me the most is called purification by fractionation. This purification strategy uses one of these other methods that might not be so efficient in extracting all the impurities from the material you're trying to purify. But since it's not so efficient, fractionation calls for that purification activity to be repeated again and again and again. So that means you strain the impurity, or you heat it again, or you shock that impurity again, and then do it again, and then do it again. Are you sure you want God to do this to you? Are you sure of that? Here am I, Lord. Purify me? Wait, don't say it. Be careful what you ask for. But maybe purification in spiritual matters is different than purification in chemistry. Well, in some ways, it just has to be different, right? But what does the Bible tell us? Well, I'm reminded immediately of the theme we have for this year and the passage from which it comes. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. You remember the passage? Isaiah sees the vision of God high and exalted on his throne with the angels flying around him and calling, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You'll also certainly remember Isaiah's response. Woe to me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, living among a people of unclean lips. Notice what the seraph angel does to purify Isaiah of his unclean lips. He takes a live coal from the sacrifice in the altar, and he touches Isaiah's lips with that burning coal. Now, I don't know if we would classify this as a purification of melting, separation, or boiling, but either way, it sounds painful to me. It sounds painful. Hear my Lord, pure... Wait, don't say it. Be careful what you ask for. But maybe Isaiah's purification in the Bible is an exceptional case. Maybe other examples of purification in the Bible are different. This brings us to our passage we read from 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, Peter calls to his readers to be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. From what we have seen in Isaiah, it would seem that this kind of holiness Peter is talking about includes purification. And as we look further into what Peter writes, we can actually see that this isn't the case. Look at verse 22 that comes right below what we read. After calling his readers to be holy in verse 15, 
Peter goes on to write, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. Obviously, holiness and purification go hand in hand. They go together here. But this, does this purification have to be painful? Well, maybe not. But I can tell you something. If you're afraid of some pain and effort, the letter of 1 Peter is not the place to go to run and hide from it. It's not the letter to go to. You see, 1 Peter is written to people who are familiar with suffering. That's not a very enjoyable topic, is it? Suffering. And the suffering that these believers were undergoing was not caused by some foolish or reckless or illegal activities they were performing. No, they were suffering because they were Christians. They were suffering because they identified themselves with Christ. In chapter 4, verse 12, Peter writes, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. Why are you surprised by this? Peter writes, But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Too often we seem to want to shy away from any discussion or possibility of pain or strong effort as believers. In this regard, Floyd Filson wrote in an article, quote, We often tend to regard Christ's sufferings as the means by which we escape suffering. He suffered for us, so we will not have to suffer. Filson writes, This idea does not come from the New Testament church. You see, throughout the New Testament, we find believers suffering for their faith. What's interesting here is that Peter does not write and say that suffering is inevitable. He doesn't say that. But he does teach that every believer must be ready to face it. And he teaches in chapter 1, verse 7, that this suffering for the sake of Christ can even work to purify the believer's faith, just like gold is refined and purified by fire. So how about you? How about you? If it is necessary, are you ready and willing to suffer in order to allow God to purify you? Here I am, Lord. Purify me. No, don't say it. Don't say it. Be careful what you ask for. As I mentioned before, I'm convinced that most of us think of purification as something that is clean and sweet and easy. And so when we pray to God, Lord, here am I, purify me, then most of the time we think we can just open our arms up to God and wait for him to bless us in a nice, comfortable, and easy way. Okay, God, go ahead and purify me. Give me my blessing. But I don't think it happens this way. I don't think it happens this way. We have to look at what Peter says in these verses of chapter 1 that we've read tonight. Peter is writing to people who are already suffering for their faith in one way or another. Some of them were being insulted and verbally abused. Some of them were being ostracized from the community in which they lived. Some were facing beatings and physical harm. Some of them were even facing the risk of death for their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, when I consider a group of believers who are, who are going through so much for their faith, I mean, they were truly suffering for the sake of Christ. I can imagine that Peter could write, you know, you've gone through so much already. 
my brothers and sisters, great job. You're doing it. Matter of fact, you've already done it. I, I, I know that you're doing this, and so just hang in there. You'll be fine. Just hang in there. That's my message. Just hang in there. That's not what Peter writes. Instead, he writes, I know you're struggling. I know you're undergoing suffering for the sake of Christ. I know you're suffering for the sake of your faith. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Haven't these people done enough already? Haven't they gone through enough already? Why can't they just sit back now and let God do his thing? Just go ahead and purify them. They shouldn't even have to ask for it, should they? Well, according to Peter, it just doesn't work that way. What I so find so interesting in this passage is to see that Peter doesn't just call them to be purified and holy in verse 15, but he instructs them how to get ready for this in verses 13 and 14. How they get ready for this. Before they can be made holy, Peter tells them to prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Literally, this Greek phrase means gird the loins of your mind. Well, that's a really helpful phrase, isn't it? I mean, when's the last time someone told you, why don't you gird the loins of your mind? Um, what in the world does that mean? Gird the loins of your mind. The phrase sounds funny, but the imagery is very poignant. In biblical times, as you think about what images you come into your mind, the men used to wear long and flowing robes over a tighter-fitting tunic for their clothing. So you can imagine that when quick action was needed, or when they need to run somewhere really fast, the robes would get in their way. It'd wrap up their legs and cause them to fall. I mean, it just, it'd make them stumble with this flowing cloth. And so, what they would do, if they were called to action, called to some type of quick thing they need to do, run somewhere, they would free up their arms and legs by grabbing the robe and tucking it into their belt. That would free them up. This was called girding the loins. For us today, we'd probably use an expression like, roll up your sleeves, or tighten your belt, or for some of you, pull up your pants, right? Because <laughs> we've got to be ready for action. The reference to the mind magnifies the metaphorical use of the phrase. In other words, Peter tells his readers to get themselves ready for some serious thought. Get ready for it. Think about it. Get yourself in the right frame of mind. In other words, be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you ask for. Have you thought about it? Then Peter tells them in verse 13, this is to prepare themselves, right? Be self-controlled. The form of this word means that they should have an ongoing, a continuing attitude of level-headedness. Be sober in your thinking. Be rational in your thoughts. Later in this later letter, Peter will use this same word to call his readers to spiritual alertness for, pray, for praying and spiritual alertness for resisting the devil. So you want to be purified? You want to be made holy? Then prepare yourself by exercising self-control, being fully alert and ready to do whatever it takes. Peter tells his readers to get themselves ready for whatever it takes as long as it takes. 
Get yourself ready. Then in verse 14, Peter tell, tells them, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. In other words, if you want God to purify you and make you holy, you can't just continue down the same old path of sin and think everything's going to be all right. It doesn't work that way. Hurry up, God, I'm ready, just do it. No. Have you prepared yourself? Being made holy is not the same thing as salvation. Your relationship with God is different. You've already turned away from the ignorance of thinking that life is all about yourself. You've turned away from the ignorance of thinking that true life is composed of satisfying your own wants and satisfying your own desires. This verb, do not conform, is only used twice in the New Testament. One of the passages you know very well. It is used here by Peter, and it's also used by Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where Paul tells his readers not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. In both instances, believers are called to reorient their lives to conform to the will of God. Not to their own desires, not to the expectations of people around them, but prepare their minds, setting their minds to conform to God's will, to what God wants in our life. Do you see what's happening here? Purification or holiness is not some kind of passive activity. It's not something that just happens while we thoughtlessly go about the business of life. Okay, God, go ahead and purify me, but make it quick, will you? I have something else i got to do. It's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. And this is not what Peter's talking about. Rather, Peter calls us to make ourselves ready for this gift of God. He wants us to think about it seriously, to prepare our minds, to prepare, to prepare our will to conform to the will of God. We need to surrender our thoughts, our actions, our motivations, our desires fully to God. Are you really ready for God to purify you? Have you prepared yourself to receive this gift of grace? Are you ready to surrender yourself fully to God, fully to His will? I'm not talking about works righteousness here, but Peter does tell us that there is work involved. There's work involved. We have to prepare ourselves, making ourselves mentally and physically and spiritually ready to receive his gift. Here am I, Lord. Purify me. Be careful what you ask for. Are you ready to do whatever it takes? I remember hearing my grandfather tell about the day when the Lord purified his heart and life completely. My grandpa Becker had been a Christian believer for quite some time. He was serving the Lord. He was reading the Bible. He was going to church. He was tithing his money. He was witnessing to others about his faith. But he said there was something missing. He said it was as if his life just still wasn't complete yet. It wasn't completely whole. There wasn't that joy. There wasn't that victory in his life that he knew that God could give him. Deep inside himself, he said there was this aching desire to surrender himself completely to God. One evangelist came to the Nazarene church where my grandpa and grandma were attending, and every night this evangelist preached about full surrender to God 
and the victorious life that a believer could experience through being, through being purified and sanctified through God's Holy Spirit. Well, early in the week of these special services, both of my grandparents went forward and prayed for God's infilling and purifying power. My grandmother received the infilling of God's Holy Spirit first, almost immediately. But my grandfather, he continued to struggle. He continued to struggle. Every night, he went to the altar and asked God to purify him and to fill his life completely. But it didn't happen. It just didn't happen. I'm not sure which day of the week it was, but my grandpa told me that he wanted God to purify him so much that he felt almost desperate, desperately in need of God's Holy Spirit to, to purify his life completely. In those days, my grandfather was farming. And so he had to spend an entire day towards the end of that week plowing a field to prepare it for sowing. As he left that ho the house that day, he told me he, that, that he asked his wife, my grandma, to pray for him be able to fully surrender himself to God's sanctifying power. Then he went out to the field and climbed up onto the tractor to plow the field. My grandma said she spent that entire day praying for my grandpa. And she said she could see him out in the field that entire day, driving back and forth through those fields, plowing that field for sowing. But she said it was the strangest thing. At the end of each run of the field, she could see the tractor make its wide turn and turn around and get ready to go down the, the field again, but then the tractor would stop for a couple of minutes, and then it would start again and plow its next course through the field. She didn't understand why the tractor kept stopping, but she felt this burden for my grandfather, and she continued, continued to pray for him all through that day. Well, finally watching this constant stopping of the tractor just got the, her curiosity too much. And so she left the house and walked outside a little bit closer so she could see what was going on. At the end of each row, my grandma said she could see my grandpa climb out of the tractor, kneel down in the newly plowed dirt, and bow his head and pray. You see, my grandfather was so desperate for God to purify his life, that he couldn't just go about the normal business of the day. And so he stopped, and he asked God to purify him. And he plowed another row, and he stopped, and asked God to purify him. And he kept on doing this all day long, until his mind, and his heart, and his spirit, and his will were finally completely surrendered to God. My grandpa knew what he was asking for. And he was willing to pay the price to make it happen. And you know what? God purified him. God did it. In the midst of our busy and hectic lives, I'm afraid that some of us think we want God to purify us. But we don't want to take the time and effort to surrender ourselves completely to him. But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Haven't you wondered why our theme throughout this entire trimester is focused on purity? Why isn't it just one service? It's the entire trimester. You see, it's easy to say, here I am, Lord, purify me. But sometimes it takes us time to prepare our hearts and lives and mind to receive God's gift. 
we have to remember that purity and holiness are indeed God's gifts. And he will only purify us when he sees and he knows that we are ready. Our chaplain knows this. And that is why we keep praying the same prayer for 11 weeks. Here am I, Lord. Purify me. Prepare my mind. Prepare my heart. Prepare my will. Take my life. Prepare me, Lord. Purify me. We have to understand God wants to purify our lives. That's not the issue. He wants to give us victory. He wants to give us the joy and peace of his full presence. But we have to surrender ourselves. We have to prepare our minds and hearts for serious action. We have to turn away from our own selfish desires and will. We have to be ready to pay the price. And then we can pray. Here I am, Lord. Purify me. I wish I had the time to talk about the joy and peace that comes with God's purifying presence. Because there's nothing like it. I wish I had the time to talk about the spiritual victory that you can experience through the infilling of God's sanctifying spirit. There's nothing like it. But the real questions we have to ask ourselves tonight is whether we are truly willing for God to purify us. Are we willing to pay the price of full surrender? Are you desperate enough for God's infilling and purifying presence to take full control? Are you desperate enough to climb down off of your tractor and to surrender everything to him? To take your life completely, no reservations, no exceptions. What would happen if God wanted to purify you tonight? Are you ready? Are you willing? Have you surrendered? Here am I, Lord. Here am I, Lord. Do I dare ask? Do I dare do it? Here am I, Lord. Purify me. In a moment, we're going to sing a song of response to God. But I'm wondering if some of us here this evening aren't ready. We're not willing. We're not ready to say, yeah, Lord. Take it all, God. I surrendered it all. And I won't settle for anything less. I won't settle for anything less than to receive your spirit, your presence, your purity. And the Lord speaks. Would you obey? Amen. Thank you, Lord, for taking our lives and using it for your glory. 
we give you thanks and praise. Father, we go from this place, we go with that promise that you will fill us. The God who calls us is faithful and he will do it. And we claim that, Father. Help us to live in your strength. Help us to live through your strength as you indwell our lives and purify us with your Holy Spirit. And we will give you thanks for the gift. We'll give you thanks for the way that you use our lives. We'll give you thanks for the way that you allow us to witness in a special and, and new power through your Holy Spirit. We'll give you thanks for Jesus and for his spirit. And so we go in your name. We go with your power. We go with your promise. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you.